Haleluya, Haleluya. Thank you, worship team. You guys did an amazing job at just setting the atmosphere and getting everything ready for the Holy Spirit just to move and to flow. Hallelujah. We praise you, Daddy. Family, isn't God good? He is good. He is kind. He is our everything. And you know what I'm most excited about is the fact that we can truly have a life that is more abundant. You know, oftentimes we think that we need to die and to go somewhere else to live a better life. But no, Jesus came that you could have that life and life more abundantly right here, right now. And you know, oftentimes we get so caught up looking for something that we already have. We have access to the throne of grace. We have access to his presence and what else do we need what else do we want but to just have Jesus in us amen so this morning um, I'm going to go ahead and conclude our series in his presence and you know when I think of this scripture what automatically comes to my mind is Hebrews 4 which is our theme scripture for today and Hebrews 4 if we if we can stand up for the reading of the word just just to show respect to, to our Lord and our King, amen? And then you guys can sit right back down. So Hebrews 4, the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 16 says, Jesus, the great high priest. Therefore, since we have a, a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses. Isn't that amazing that God is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses? I don't know what your weaknesses are, but I have my weaknesses. And the most amazing thing about it is, is that I don't have to feel condemned. Because he sympathizes. He knows. He knows. It's not like, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I understand. You know, don't you hate it when people, you go through a tragedy, especially when you go through death and somebody says, oh, I know how you feel. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> Excuse me, but no, you don't. All of our pain is different. But when it comes to Jesus, he truly knows. He truly understands. And then it says, but we have the one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Fearing? Saying, yeah, maybe today, yes, or ah, maybe today God is going to be God and maybe tomorrow he will not. You know, he is God in every situation, but man, I just don't know if this situation, he's going to be big enough, strong enough, or it's able going to be able to come through for me. No, it says to come to God's throne of grace with confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So that he may help us in our time of need. You guys can have a seat. How many of you are in need? 
How many are you in need of a little bit of grace and mercy? I think that we all are. We all find ourselves in that, in that place of just needing that, 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 uh, that grace and mercy that we may be able to find that. And you know what, the, and, and, this, and this passage, this scripture really just blows my mind, just kind of as I was sharing, right? The fact that before Jesus came, the being in the presence of God was very exclusive. It was reserved for the high priest, right? And the high priest was the highest religious uh, person for the Israelites, right? He was the only one that could do that. But not only that, it wasn't like you could like say, you know what, I'm going to run for high priest this year. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and get in the primaries and hopefully I can go out there and get some signatures and people can actually get me on the ballot and I'm going to be the high priest. No. Unless you were of a particular tribe, you were a particular peoples, you were not going to be able to do that. So it was very exclusive. Nobody could be part of being uh, of like the high priest family unless you, you had the ins, you know what I mean? So only the high priest was the only one that could come before the presence of God. Numbers 18 and 7 says, but only you and your sons, and he was talking to Aaron, may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to death. So not only that, though, you had to be, like, super holy to do that. You know, I'm not perfect, you know, and I'm sure that I had my moments this week, and I'm, I'm glad that we're not in the Old Testament. Otherwise, I'd be, like, laying on the floor right now. Somebody will be just, like, pulling me off the stage right now. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful what Jesus Christ did? Is that no matter where you find yourself at, you can still come before his presence. Isn't that beautiful? I think that oftentimes we just take a lot of these things for granted. We don't understand what salvation means. We don't understand what God, what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross so that we can have that presence with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Imagine if what would happen if you were trying to get an audience with the Queen of England. What type of stuff would you have to do, right? You got to go through all these security checks. Not only that, I mean, could I just call up and and say, hey, can I meet with the, uh, with the Queen of England next week? You know, how about uh, Thursday morning, 10 a.m., come in for tea? Could I do that? No, I can't because you need something. And, that's, and it was actually even before, the, you know, before in the Old Testament, it was worse. We just couldn't come before the presence of God. It was very, very limited. And again, not only that, but the high priest had to offer a sin offering not only for the sins of the people, but also for himself. Leviticus 4.3 says, If the anointing priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin that he has committed. Without defect. Who's the only one without defect? We just read it, right? Jesus. He is tempted in every way, but yet he has not sinned. He is perfect. So the most important duty of the high priest was to conduct the service on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month of every year. Only he was allowed to enter the most holy place behind the veil to stand before God. 
Having made a sacrifice for himself and for the people, he then brought the blood into the holies of holies and sprinkled it on the mercy seat that is God's throne. He did this to make an atonement. What does an atonement mean? It's a reparation for offense or injury, right? He was making that reparation for offense or injury for himself and for the people and the sins that had been committed during the year that just had ended. And, and this is the particular service that is compared to the work that Jesus Christ did. Except that Jesus Christ did it once and for all. Jesus doesn't have to be crucified every year, <laughs> come back to life, and, and you know, it'd be like Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's like, okay, here we go again. I got to die for the people. Oh, man, there you go. Dylan's in again. My goodness, I'm going to have to die again. Oh, my God, there's, there's Devin. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to uh, die again. No, he did it once and for all. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful that Jesus, this is the closest thing that we have to understand what Jesus Christ did for us. And now we do not have a high priest in the way that we had in the Old Testament. And what used to be impossible and even very complex for the high priest to do, even that that was so difficult, we now have unlimited access to our, godly, our, our heavenly father because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not halfway done. It is finished. It's not partially done. It is finished. It's not like, well, you know what, I'm going to look at social media for a little bit and then I'll get, I'll get to it. No. <laughs> he finished it once and for all. Hebrews 9, 24 and 26 tells us this. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way that the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all, for all culmination of the ages to do away with the sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen. Family, it is finished. His work has been enough. And I don't know about you, but that just excites me. It just excites me because I, we have power. We have access. We have authority. We don't have to have to go through any intermediaries. We don't have to go through anybody else. We have access to the Father through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. But you know what I've noticed? It's just that we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, have a tendency of making things so much more difficult than they need to be. We make it so complex, don't we? We just make it so complex and sometimes we just fail to realize that everything that we will ever need, we already have. It's already there. <laughs> we just have to tap into it. We just got to 
grab a hold of it. It's ours for already. Have you ever been in a situation where you're looking for something only to realize that you already have that thing what you're looking for? How many people are like, man, where are my glasses? And, you know, they're like on your head or sometimes I do it and like my glasses are right on my face and I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, that's right. I'm just getting old. <laughs> or how about this? You know, how many of you like um, you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, where's my phone? You grab your phone, you turn on your flashlight. And you're like, I know I left it somewhere over here, right? Looking for it, you're like, oh my goodness, it's right here. All along, it's right here. So oftentimes, we have access to that we already have, but we're still looking for it, amen? We're still looking for it. And you know what? Oftentimes, I see men and women of God full of value, chasing after things that don't any, add any value to their lives, that do not add any value as to who they are as children of God. You see, you are valuable not because of your bank account, not because of your college degrees, not because the title that you hold at work, not because of how many followers you have in social media, right? My, my 72 followers on, uh, on uh, Twitter don't cut it, all right? <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter how many people, you know, followers you have on, on TikTok or whatever it is that you're into, right? It, it doesn't matter. That has no sense of value to you because that doesn't compare to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for you. That's what gives you value. Let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to sacrifice something greater for something lesser? Would you be able, willing to do that? So let me ask you this. What does this say about your value? John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What does that have to say about your value? That God said, you are valuable enough for me to be able to sacrifice my most valuable possession, my only begotten son. What does that say about your value? I don't know how you're feeling. I don't care how you're feeling. I don't know what anybody has told you. You are valuable. And he loves you. And he is delighted in you. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter where you've been. He loves you. You know, sometimes when I'm sitting at my dining room table, I'll be sitting there, and, um, and one of my children will be in the kitchen, and generally it's Jed. You know, I'll be like, Jed! And he looks at me, he's like, come here. And then, and then he's like, he's, and I'm like, you know what I want, right? And then he gives me a hug, right? Because that's, that's like our thing. Sometimes I'll call... Bess or, or, or Esli or Uriah, and yesterday I was just holding on to my little boy, and I was just telling him, son, you know how much I love you? I'm like, you know that there's nothing that you will ever do that's going to make me love you any less. Are there going to be things that you're going to do that are going to disappoint me? Yes. 
But that doesn't take away the love that I have for you. So don't ever forget that. See, and that's the thing with God is that often we think that God doesn't love us because we messed up. Oftentimes we think that God doesn't care for us because we did something that we were not supposed to do. That may disappoint God, but it doesn't change the love that he has for you. It doesn't change the fact that he sent his only begotten son because you are valuable. It doesn't change your value. The things that you do don't change your value. And you see, these are the type of things that we need to renew our minds day in and day out. Every day, we got to wake up and renew our minds because the world is bombarding us left and right. It's telling us that we're not good enough, that we messed up, and that we're never going to be able to get out of our mess. You may wake up and do the one thing that you said that you were never going to do. And the enemy will just keep pouncing on you, keep pouncing on you. And you need to renew your mind on a daily basis. Romans 12 tells us, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but allow your mind to be what? Renewed. So we have to renew every day of our life. Every day we got to do that. Because if we do not renew our minds, we are going to associate whatever it is that we're feeling as to who we are. And that's a lie. That's a lie. You are valuable you are valuable now satan knows that god created man in his image and that man's god-given tendency is to see god through one another right we look at everybody right we see in john 13 35 that says that everyone will know that you are my disciples by what by the way that you love one another right so we're able to look at one another by the way that we love one another and sometimes we even judge God through one another, don't we? If, we made, if God made me in his image to reveal him and gave me all that he is, then it should be fair that you can look at my life and see who God is, right? If God has given me his image, you should be able to look at my life and see who I am, right? Or who God is, right? But because we fell, right? And we have done a lot of damage and hurt. We have learned to live selflessly instead of living selfless. We don't deny ourselves, right? We live selfishly. We've been twisted because we were created for love, but instead we have been living selflessly. The sad part is that when you and I live a certain way, people tend to judge God for that, right? And the beautiful thing is, is that we, every day we have a choice of whether we choose to reflect him or not. Every morning, every day we have that choice to reflect his goodness, his kindness, love, mercy, grace. But on the flip side, people may say, if, that, if that's how God is, then I don't want any of that, <laughs> right? We have that choice. We can either show the goodness of God or people may say, you know what? If that's how God is, if that's how church is, I don't even want to go to church. And they judge the perfect ways of God through the falling nature of men. And that's pretty messed up. 
People will not come to know God for two reasons. Number one, they do not know a Christian that will tell them about the loving grace of God. Or number two, they know a Christian. <laughs> right? They either don't have somebody to tell them who, who Christ is and lead them to the cross, or they have a bad example. And they're like, you know what? Never mind. I don't want none of that. But the only way to measure God is not through us. It is through what? It's through Jesus. And the fact that Jesus is someone that we can, that we can emphasize with our weaknesses, who can emphasize with our weaknesses, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but hasn't sinned, you know what that does? It truly does give me confidence that I can come before the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in my time of need. And you know what? It also gives me the confidence that I am well represented. That I am well represented. That he knows what he's doing. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if I've ever committed a crime and I was going to court, I, 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 I look for the best uh, lawyer that I, could, that I could get. I wouldn't just be sacrificed with somebody that just kind of, eh, have made it right. Or just looking for like a coupon, you know, get, get a lawyer on Groupon. <laughs> it's like, no, I, you know what, I'm going to get the best, Right? And with Jesus Christ, I can be assured that he is the best representation that I can get. He truly is. Once again, Hebrews 4.16 tells us, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The scripture has given us an invitation to come to the throne of grace with what? With confidence. And the definition of confidence is this. The feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something firm and trust. Number two, the state of feeling certain about the truth of something. Or number three, a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities and qualities. And confidence is a popular subject today, right? We are told to think confidently, to be self-assured, to live brashly, boldly, brazenly, right? To just take on the world. We are told to live confidently. And in many ways, the theme of modern society is to be what? Self-confident. Does the Bible uh, uh, um, agree with this type of positive thinking? If the Bible teaches us to be confident, what should we be confident about? If not, why not? The word confidence or its close derivatives is used, in the, is used 54 times in, in the King James Version and 60 times in the, new, in the New International Version. The majority of those uses concern trust in people, circumstances, or God. So it is all over the Bible, right? It tells us everything. But the Bible says that there are some things that we should not have confidence in. In what? For example, our flesh. <laughs> Philippians 3.3 says, For it is we who are, in the, are, are the circumcisions, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. 
So Paul wrote these words to counter the claims of those who thought that they were accepted to God based on their heredity, training, religious devotion. <laughs> let's, read, let's put this plain and simple. God has no favorites. God has no favorites. My wife may have a favorite child that we all know about, <laughs> but God has no favorites, amen? Acts 10.34 says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. You know what? And our resumes and, and genealogies don't matter much to him either. Proverbs 14 and 6 says, A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages is and, and is self-confident. In other words, the, to arrogantly assume to, that sin has no consequences is a foolish confidence. Right? We are forgiven. We are free. The Lord loves us and we will forgive our trespasses. But sometimes we will live, we'll have to live with the consequences of our sin. He will help us through it, but we will, have st we will still have to live through the consequences of our sins. And again, if we're going to be confident in something, Psalms 118.8 tells us that I should be confident in what? In the Lord and not humans. It says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust princes, right? Princes in that time, what was? The government system. So those who trust in the government, finances, or other people or themselves will be disappointed in the end. And on the other hand, those who put their confidence in God will never be ashamed. Romans 10, 11 says... Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Have, you, have, any of, have, any, have any of you ever been put to shame by trusting the Lord? Hasn't happened yet. And it will never will because he is good. He's kind. He is faithful. So receiving the love and mercy of God is very important. Understanding the truth about, about it, that he, he has vindicated us, he has washed us, he has made us clean. He doesn't see, see us through our sin. He sees us through his son. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That God does not see us through our sin. He simply sees us through our son. And all of a sudden, we can stand righteous in his presence and have confidence before God because we're going to have more than a prayer life, right? We have to have more than a prayer life. We have to have a relationship. We have to have intimacy. You can actually be in the presence of God and be confident and bold, but not arrogant. So that's the thing. It's like what we're after is this. It's not just a prayer life, right? Because oftentimes we say, well, I'm not praying, I'm not seeking the Lord, I'm not into No, you know what? You could pray all day long, you could pray for your meal, you can, you know, just, you know, before you every meal, Lord, thank you, bless this food, let it be in my body, in Jesus' name, amen. That doesn't make you any closer than the one who just takes his sandwich um, and just starts eating it, right? And then realizes that, hey, it comes from the Lord. No, it's about that relationship. You can have a prayer life and you can be completely missing it out. You gotta have that relationship. Now, the relationship will cause you to have a prayer life, right? But don't you know it doesn't it doesn't work backwards. It doesn't work backwards. 
So confidence and arrogance are two different things. We can't mix it up. Because, if you're, because we are supposed to come boldly before the throne of grace. And because of who Jesus is and what, and what he has done, we're able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. And when we do that, we're able to receive the grace and mercy during what? Our time of need. You know, isn't it amazing that because of what Jesus did, we're not afraid to walk through that door. You know, can you imagine if you just try, you know, uh, running in through the White House and trying to run in the Oval Office? What's going to happen? Somebody's going to tackle you, maybe even shoot you, you know? But isn't it amazing that we can, ride straight, we can run straight into the presence of God and nobody's going to stop us? Because Jesus has given us full access to what we need. But what keeps us from receiving that freedom? What keeps us from being able to receive that access? Sometimes it's condemnation and shame, isn't it? We are called to, to live a life that is separated unto him. But sometimes we mess up, don't we? How many of you have messed up recently? I think we all have, right? We all mess up, you know. In, in the words of the great psalmist, uh, Hannah Montana, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. You know, we all mess up and we all fall short of the glory of God. Amen? We all do. You know, we, 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 we mess up. We are not perfect. And sometimes it's that condemnation that keeps us away from having that access when we mess up. And our confidence goes out the window. And instead of getting right with God, we retreat and we say, you know what? A holy God will never look at me and let alone answer my prayers. Condemnation does that to us. It pushes us away from the very presence of God. And it makes us believe that God will not even listen to us, that he will not even look at us. And we miss the part where we are able to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. There should never be a place of condemnation and shame for the believer's life. Last week, I was sharing with, uh, with the men in our, this, our men's discipleship group that I am so thankful that the Lord gave me the grace of being able to just bounce right back up. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an early uh, baby Christian. You know, I tripped up a couple times, and the Lord gave me the grace to just bounce right back up, shake off my, my sin, my dust, and say, you know what? I'm moving forward. I'm not, I'm not looking back into the sin. I'm just moving forward. You know what? I am a new creature. I am creating new. And yes, maybe I fell short, but you know what? What Jesus Christ did for me is a lot greater than what I can do for myself. So when we mess up, we just got to come before the Lord and what? Repent, dust off our sin, and continue walking towards Jesus. Can I give you some good news today? You can uh, approach the throne of grace with confidence because what once separated us is no longer there. Isn't that amazing? What once separated us is no longer there. 
And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. I'm going to go ahead and give you four quick points to hopefully help us to get to that place of where we know why we can walk in confidence. Four points that hopefully will help us approach the throne of grace to receive all that God has in store for us. Point number one, condemnation is never the answer. First John 2, um, uh, first John the second chapter verses one and two says, I'm sorry, uh, two and uh, one and two says, my dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, right? There's a provision there, right? More than likely you will sin as much as we want to be perfect after we come, you know, before the Lord, even after, you know, sometimes we come and we say, you know what, we want to be baptized because we want to make that outward um, confession that I'm with Christ. And oftentimes what happens after, you know, you get baptized, sometimes you still mess up a little bit, right? Sometimes we still have those mistakes. So, so in this particular instance, he's saying, hey, if you, are, if you happen to sin, right, it, 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 it more than likely will, right? The goal is, is that we try to live as best as we can in, in communion with the Lord, but it happens, right? But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for us, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, just even as I think back in my 21 years ago when I came to know the Lord, even as I think about it, and I'm like thinking, you know what? What if I would have just, every time that I messed up, what if I would have just, just moved away farther and farther from the, from the cross? I wouldn't be standing here right now. I wouldn't have the family that I have right now. I wouldn't be living the life that I'm living in the Lord. But instead, like I said, it's like I've learned early on to not allow condemnation to settle in. Just kick it to the, to the side. Because condemnation is never the answer. We have to go after the truth. And when we go after the truth, the truth will do what? It set us free, exactly. Guilt, condemnation, and shame are lies from the devil. Those are the three weapons of the, of the enemy, right? Guilt, condemnation, and shame. They are never tools of the kingdom of God. God never uses them because they are anti-finished work of the cross, and they never produce life. What do they produce? They produce death. So these things should not be in our life. You will never be an Adam again. You will never be an Adam trying to cover your sin. The Lord says that he takes everything away and he clothes you what? In righteousness. You are a new creature in righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So condemnation is never the answer. Just got to walk in confidence that what Jesus Christ did is good and is good enough for us. Point number two, you, gotta, you have to allow grace to take you where it is impossible for you to go. You have to allow grace to take you where it is impossible to go. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that, my, that, that Christ's power may rest on me. And what we need to do is we really need to allow grace to take, to take us where it is impossible to go. If you believe things about yourself based on yourself, you may miss the grace. You may miss the grace that changes you. If we ever put our human experience above who God is, the working power of God, we may stay the same. And, you know, at the end of the day, all that we have is just a confession. Again, if we put human effort, our human experience, everything that we've done above the power, the working power of God, all that we're left with is a confession. And oftentimes we put so much power or where we have been. Right? We put so much power in our past, in who we were, what we've done, and everything else. We put so much power on that. We don't do it on purpose. But we believe that that's who we are. And he's saying that none of that has anything to do with who you are right now. That's why God says and he calls that, that it's, that's all dead. It's all dead. That's the reason why we have to die if we are ever going to live in Christ. That's why we have to be born again. Because that's what takes away everything that you've ever been. See, and we miss that concept. I used to think that the whole, the whole, the whole term born again was kind of like weird and crazy. Growing up, I would always be like, oh, comes those born again Christians again, you know. And, and, you know, you make fun of them and everything else. And you have no idea because you don't understand the concept of being born again. When you are born again, what that means is that all that you were before has passed away. It's all dead. It's all been removed. It's gone. It's buried. It's done. And you are a new creature, clothed in righteousness in Christ Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But oftentimes we put so much value on who we were, what we used to do, and, and we think that that's who we are. In the weeks and months after my conversion, when I came to know the Lord, I still remember that I had a lot of friends who thought that I had just gone crazy. <laughs> they were just like, I remember one day I, I, I used to go uh, to, um, I used to work at a restaurant. Um, I was a bartender then, and, um, and I, you know, I, <clears throat> I had already uh, started my career as an engineer, and then I was still bartending on the weekends. And I remember I used to play around with the busboys there, and in my language wasn't the best. I thank God that he just... I uh, got that, and the, just the way that I, the relations, the relationship that I had with a lot of my friends there were not very godly, right? And I remember one of the busboys looked at me, he's like, you know what? He's like, would you just like cuss or, 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 or do something, blah, blah, blah. I just, I just don't think that you're there anymore. And he was right. The person that I was was no longer there. A new creature, a new creation has come into that place. I was no longer who I was. I was a new creature. But you see, if we are following our own human experiences, why are we following our own human experiences when we are called to follow him? 
What if we were to believe that when Jesus, when Jesus says that we are forgiven, that we truly are? What if we were to believe it? Just that crazy idea. All right? This is a really crazy concept, okay? When Jesus says that you are forgiven, believe it. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God. It's like giving you guys like all these new concepts that you guys have never, you know, I'm like going really deep, right? <laughs> it's simple, right? If Jesus says that you are forgiven, what are you supposed to do? Debate about it? Think about it? Say, no, but I, I really don't think so. Where does it say it in the Bible? You know, no, it's, if Jesus says that you're forgiven, say for example, you get pulled over, you're speeding, you're going 15, 20 miles over the speed limit. The police officer comes to your, to your window, says, sir, can I have your driver's registration? Uh, yes. You know what I stopped you for? I have no idea, officer. <laughs> like self-incrimination, right? It's like, well, you were going 20 over the speed limit. You know what? You know, I should ticket you, but you know what? I'm going to cut your break. You're going to go, right? And you say, no, officer, I was speeding. Please give me a ticket. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? Jesus says you are forgiven. Yeah. Just walk away. Drive away. It's like, drive away and don't spit no more, right? <laughs> Jesus says, you are forgiven. We are forgiven. Is, is, is that a difficult concept to understand? It is not. It is not. So grace is able to take us where, where we think it is impossible to go. It is impossible to go. Again, if Jesus says that it's finished, it is truly finished. You are a new creature, clothed in his righteousness. Point number three, allow grace, allow grace to change you. Second Peter, first chapter, verses three and four says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through, through this, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Right? He's saying that he has given us the power. What God is saying is, is that he has assured us through his word that we have received everything necessary to be one with him. That he has given us a divine nature. A divine nature. But one of the things that we have to understand is, is that as Christians, we can't be saved just for ourselves. Right? I think many times that's the biggest mistake that we make, right? We're like, you know what? Even, even sometimes when we're talking about with people, we can say, oh, you know what? You should accept life. You know, Jesus Christ, could you have life, life more abundantly? You're going to live a life full of blessings, and your, change is gonna, your life is going to be so different. And we start selling the, the things that we're not supposed to sell. Right? Because Christianity, following Christ, is nothing that you're offering, stuff like that. No. We are just made, we're being reconciled with Christ. And as a result of being reconciled with Christ, we have to live a life that is different, that glorifies Him, and not necessarily glorify us. But instead, we have made it all about us, and we, we, and we are miserable when things are not going our way, and we say, well, what about this Christian life? They told me that if I follow Christ, that I was going to have the desires of my heart, and the desires of my heart is for me to be popular, to have influence, to do all these different things, and now all these things are not happening, so now what's going on, Jesus? And that's the most miserable life that we can have, when we think that we are saved 
for ourselves. And that's why some people are miserable going to church. Discouraged people show up to church all the time. And that's a, that giveaway that life is deciding who they are and not the life inside of them. I'm going to say that again. Miserable people show up to church all the time. And that is a dead giveaway that the life that they're living, right, is what's causing the, them to be able to have the life and not the life that's inside of them. Right? Because the life that's inside of them is supposed to what do what? It's supposed to produce fruit. It's supposed to produce the spirit. We're supposed to walk in the spirit. And as different things come up, we say, Holy Spirit, I'm feeling a certain way. Please don't allow me to feel this way. I think that you're powerful, that, you're, that, you're, that you can do exceedingly abundantly about what I can ask and think for. And today I'm deciding that you are God Almighty, and I'm not going to allow this feeling to take control of my life, and I'm allowing you to take control of my life. But instead, we focus once again about ourselves and then because we're not getting a promotion, because we're not getting the car or the house that we wanted, and because we're not in the relationship that we wanted, and all these different things, we just become miserable because we're allowing the life that we're supposed to have dictating who we are instead of the life that's inside of us. We're supposed to be living from the inside out and not from the outside in. And if we, don't, if we don't get a hold of that, we're going to continue to do that. That's why you have to allow the grace of God to do that. Because that's what the grace of God does. It changes you from the inside out. Not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. See, and, and when we live that life, then we gauge God's lordship based on what we receive. Rather than God just being God. Rather than just God being Lord. Rather than just being God being our Lord and Savior. Right? He is able to give us exceedingly more than we can ask or even think of. That's what Ephesians 3 tells us, right? He's able to give us more. Again, you can never be just a saved Christian for yourself. Because it goes completely against why Jesus came. Just got to remember that. One of the things that I have made up my mind is, is that I'm no longer buying into the idea of going through seasons. I'm no longer buying into it. God has called us to be born again, to believe that he is Lord, period. And regardless of my circumstances, does it mean that I'm not going to go through difficult times? No. Does it mean that everything's going to be nice and pretty? No. It just means that when those circumstances come, I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm just going through this season, and I just hope that the Lord can carry me through, and oh, I just, just hope that, no. I say, Lord, you are God. You are Lord, and that's enough. Yes, the enemy's coming against me right now, but you are more powerful and able to do exceedingly above even what I ask or even think. And that's, the, that's what we have to make up our minds. It's just that, yes, we're going to have our highs and lows, but in every high and low, our attitude should be the same. God is God no matter whether you're good or you're bad. God is God and doesn't change who he is. What we need to change in those moments is who we are. 
We got to ask God, God, please fix my, my belief system. So what I'm talking about is not going through seasons. It's about changing my belief system. That's why I'm no longer going to be subscribing to the whole thing of like, oh, I'm just going through a season. No, I refuse to do that. God is God no matter what's going on in my life. God is God. Jesus is Lord no matter what. And that's, and that's all I'm going to say about that, you know. Man, he is good, amen. See, the problem is, is that when we allow those seasons to take root, they will directly impact our behavior, which definitely lead us to have a season. See, what we need to understand is, is that our behaviors usually is, is usually a reflection of our identity. Because what you do is an indication of the type of person that you think that you are or that you believe that you are either consciously or unconsciously. You automatically start doing those things because you start believing that. Research has shown that once a person believes in a particular aspect of their identity, they are more likely to act in alignment with that belief. So if you believe that you are depressed, more than likely, you're going to act depressed, right? So we start associating certain things with our behavior. Say, for example, in the morning you wake up, you're feeling sleepy, you're like, oh, I have a craving for coffee. Then you drink coffee and you feel awake. All of a sudden, you start associating coffee with feeling awake and alert, right? So you start, you know, again, whatever you start believing, you're going to start acting on that. Yesterday, my, my beautiful bride and I, were, uh, we're, we're, uh, we're training for the Chicago Marathon. Man, she, I just got to say, my wife is a beast. I, she is so strong right here, and she's just crushing it. So we went out, and we uh, were uh, doing a 14-mile run. We were focusing on even splits, so we were not running you know, as fast as we normally would. I think I pushed her a little bit, but man, she, like I said, she's a beast. She's like hanging in there. And um, so when we were on our way back, we're at mile 10. We got to, um, we live in Oswego, so we were over at Prairie Point. And generally, when we get to that point, it's, we can often associate that with tiredness, right? So as I got there, I was like thinking, oh, man, I'm tired. And I'm like, wait a minute. Looking at my watch, I'm like, my heart rate is great. We're, our pace is good. I feel good. It's like, you know what? I feel good. I don't have to associate me being tired with feeling tired right now. So the moment I corrected that, I just kept my pace and we kept moving. So it's very easy like that. I, it's just the way that our mind works, right? So whenever you're feeling depressed, you say, you know what? No, I am a child of God. Depression cannot live there. You know what? I, you know, I'm feeling a certain urge. No, you know what? Holy Spirit is inside me. I'm no longer going to believe that. So we have to start adjusting the way that we think. Again, it's mind renewal. When we walk in our identity as children of God, that allows God's grace to change us. And it empowers us to receive his divine power, which gives us everything that we need to have a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. You know, family, sometimes we don't need prayer to get through our difficulties. Sometimes we just need fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit. Right? Sometimes you're feeling a certain way, and right away we go and we say, and I'm not, I'm not saying don't go and ask for prayer. You know, obviously we're here, you know, I head up the prayer team, so I'll be out of a job. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, but what I'm saying is this, is that if you're feeling a certain something, if you have enough communion with the Holy Spirit, you're able to say, 
Holy Spirit, I'm feeling a, a, a little something today. I know this doesn't come from you. Would you just work in me? Would you just take that away from me? I know, I know that that's no, no longer who I was or who I am. I know that you have made me a new creature. Even though I'm feeling this way, I know that you can act in that. And we work in that. And we practice that a little bit more instead of like texting somebody and saying, hey, can you pray for me? Blah, blah, blah. No, just next time you feel that way, do this first. Have communion with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Allow him to minister to you. Yes. And then if you still feel the urge to do that, I'll go spend a little bit more time with the Holy Spirit. And then just allow that to work in you. Amen? Again, sometimes we don't need prayer. Sometimes we just need fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And my final point is this. Draw near with a sincere heart. Draw near with a sincere heart. Hebrews 10 tells us, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith, and that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Matthew 27, uh, 51 says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in, in, in two from the top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. This last scripture refers to what Jesus Christ did when, well, what happened when Jesus Christ basically said, it is finished. It is done. The veil that once separated us from God is no longer there. The veil that Matthew is referring to is the veil served to separate the holy place from the holies of holies. The veil then was a physical variant that both represented and enforced the separation from the holy presence of the enthroned Yahweh within, from Aaron and his sons. And violating that meant what? Death. So that veil that prohibited us from being in the presence, in the very presence of God is then removed by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The veil was torn from the top to the bottom, which only signifies one thing, that it is finished, that we have been reconciled. If it would have been torn from the bottom up, it would have meant that what? Man was trying to move it up, remove it, and break it. But no, instead it got taken out from the, from the top to the bottom, saying, you know what? It is finished. And because it is finished, it allows us to come to the Lord with a sincere heart that says, Lord, here I am. The veil has been removed, and now I can come before you in your presence because of what we have done. If we want to approach the throne of grace with confidence, we need to stop allowing life to speak louder than his truth. Because how we feel will sneak up on us. And if we don't change what we see, we will never change what we will be. I'm going to say that again. If we do not change what we see, we will never change 
what we will be. We can, we can follow God in full confidence in his wisdom, power, and plan. As we obey the Lord and just have that full assurance that we are saved. Galatians 5.10 says, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay for the penalty. Whoever is throwing you into confusion. Today my prayer is this. My prayer is, is that just as the Lord removed that veil that separated us, my prayer is that the Lord will remove that veil that may be in front of you that doesn't allow you to see yourself for who you are. That you are a creation, brand new, clothed in his righteousness. I pray that the Lord will remove every confusion that keeps you from seeing that the work of Jesus Christ is finished. It is finished and you are forgiven. So if you're here and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is finished. Family, we need mind renewal. We need to see that we have everything that we need. We don't have to be looking anywhere else. We already have it. All the power, it's already ours. It's already accept, it's accessible to us. All we have to do is go out there and grab it. We're no longer separated. We're no longer separated. It's there. So what is it? As you examine your heart right now, what is it that's separating you and keeping you from accepting the finished work of Christ? What is it that's keeping you in that place that says, you know what, I'm just going to live for me and me alone. And I'm saved because I want to be saved and I just want, that, I just want to live that blessed life when in reality that's not why we're saved. What is it that's keeping you being miserable that causes you to come into church just feeling down and feeling miserable? What is it? But whatever it is, we're going to pray today that the Lord will be able to just chop it down, remove it, so that we can come with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Heavenly Father, first and foremost, I just want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you, Daddy, that you send your only begotten Son. And that speaks volume, Lord, because it tells us that we are valuable to you. Jesus Christ was more valuable than us, than humankind. But yet you said, I'm going to send my son who is valuable to me to save you. So that tells me, Father, that I have ultimate value, Lord. 
So, Father, if there's anybody here that's questioning their value, Lord, that's questioning their life, if they're in a point of depression where they're saying, you know what? I might be better off just not even being here. My life has no purpose. My, my, my life has no hope. I just, I am lost right now, and I just might as well end it. I just pray, Father, that you will speak to their spirit and that you will just let them know that they are valuable. That they are so loved and valuable. And that your son Jesus came and suffered and took up all the punishment that was upon us because you saw them in the future and you knew exactly how they were going to feel and you knew exactly where they were. And they're valuable to you, Father. So speak to them, Daddy. Speak to them, Lord. Father, I pray that you will remove that veil of confusion for those people that are feeling condemnation of their past, of the things that they've done, that they haven't been able to remove, Lord. Would you just allow them to see, Father, that they are loved, that they are perfect, that they are loved by you, God, that they're not defined by what they've done, but they are defined by Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Would you allow them, Father, today to receive your grace and mercy, Lord, wherever they're at, Lord, that they're able to just live that life full of, full of abundance that you have promised us, Lord. Would you just allow them to be able to see the value, Lord, that they may be able to just, in their moments of weaknesses, Lord, that just be able to shake off their sin and, and the different things that are coming against them, Lord, and being able to say, you know what? I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me. Father, I pray for those that are just lost, that don't know you, Lord, that they've never known you, Daddy. And I pray, Father, if they're here and they've heard your voice and they felt your presence, Daddy, that you will minister to them right where they were, where they are right now, Father. I still remember a 26-year-old who was lost, who went to a wedding and saw your presence for the very first time. And I experienced something that I had never experienced before. And that day was the beginning of life journey that has changed my life forever. So I pray, Father, that is there somebody here that, Lord, that needs to feel the pre the, your presence in the same way that I have, Lord, that you will do that, Lord. Not only that, Father, but that you will touch their heart and that you will show them, Lord, that they can live a more abundant life, Lord. That, that emptiness that they feel in their heart doesn't have to be there, that doesn't have a place in their heart, Lord. And that they can have that life that you promised us long ago, Daddy. That life of fulfillment, Lord. But we don't need anything external, Lord, to feel happy. We don't need anything else Lord we may appear weird because we don't drink we don't smoke we don't do all these different things because we find joy and comfort in you daddy your word tells us that we will not lack anything Psalms 23 tells us that we have to be having the, the, the trust in you Lord and that we will not lack anything, Lord. That you make us to lay down, Lord, in green pastures. That we shall not want anything, Lord. And that's because that is true, Lord. You make us lie down in green pastures, Daddy.
So thank you for the rest that you're bringing, Lord, to the, to the weary souls today, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful work, Lord. I just thank you, Daddy, that today we're able to walk confidently in your presence because of the finished work of Christ. Thank you, Daddy. We give you all praise, give you all honor, all glory. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <laughs>